Guten Morgen. I'm flaming um, the idiots in CNN and uh, flaming Trump for a stupid ass fascist cosplay. Okay, I said, get off the stage, Nazi pig. You need to change your stanky ass diaper. <clears throat> this is a citizen's arrest. You are under arrest for treason and terrorism. No presidential bid for you, Nazi pig. And I'm going to like it that the party started. Remember to keep Trump sells America cheap. Morning, Joe. Breaking news. July 10. It is Monday, July 10th. It's good to be back. It's wonderful. Bright and early. We were ever gone. I never knew. <laughs> yeah, we were gone for a week. With us, we have the president of the National Action Network and host of MSNBC's Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton, former aide to the George W. Bush State Department, Elise Jordan, columnist and associate editor for the Washington Post, David Ignatius, and Pulitzer Prize-winning historian John Meacham is with us this morning. So moments ago, President Biden arrived at... 10 Downing Street in London, where he was met at the door by United Kingdom Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. President Biden is holding meetings this morning, in the morning, with the PM ahead of a trip to Windsor Castle this afternoon. While there, he will meet with the newly crowned King Charles for the first time since he ascended the throne. This afternoon, the two will participate in a climate engage engagement at the castle before President Biden leaves for the NATO summit beginning tomorrow in Lithuania. Let's uh, go to London right now. We'd get the host way too early, Jonathan O'Meara, also White House Bureau Chief at Politico. He is, of course, at Buckingham Palace. To talk about the Boston Red Sox, five-game no. winning streak, and the fact they're only one game behind the Yankees going to the All-Star break, and only two games behind in the wild card chase. What say the new king, <laughs> Jonathan Lemire? And also, uh, secondly, uh, talk about the meeting uh, between the president uh, and the prime minister. This is going to be their sixth meeting in six months. Uh, obviously, NATO membership uh, at the forefront, and then, of course, King Charles III, always uh his focus has always been on the environment we just endured three four of the hottest days in 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 history of of of, of the world since it's been recorded that obviously has to be on the front of many people's minds there Good morning, guys. I'm coming to you live from the official Caddy K position for Morning Joe at the Canada Gate oh, at Buckingham Palace. Uh, in fact, the changing of the guard happening just over my shoulder as we speak. Uh, this is indeed the president's first day uh, here in Europe. I traveled with him last night on Air Force One here. Uh, as you saw, he just arrived at number 10 to meet with Rishi Sunak. Their sixth meeting in as many months. Um, certainly, the war in Ukraine is part of today's conversation. There is a difference of opinion on those cluster bombs. The U.S. has signed off on sending those munitions to Ukraine as part of the war effort. The U.K. is one of the countries who signed a treaty that prevents doing that. But aides tell me they don't think that will be a major flashpoint of tension there. As you mentioned, the president will then meet with the king later today. The King Charles is certainly environmental issues. Climate change has always been uh, at the forefront of his public agenda. Uh, the president is going to use that meeting today to try to create a 
public-private partnership uh, to help on those issues. And the two men, I'm told, have a bit of a kinship. Uh, both have waited a long time to ascend to the most powerful position in their country and have warm relations from their previous meetings on the international stage. But you're right, Joe. Uh, certainly, this is all just a prelude to the NATO summit in Lithuania. Uh, Ukraine not expected to gain admission to the alliance anytime soon, but that will be a topic of conversation, as will be Sweden. Um, we can dive into all of that, as well as the number one topic on both sides of the pond, those surging Boston Red Sox, as we head into the break, looking, uh, looking perhaps to make that wild card run. Yeah, surprisingly so, Mika, frankly. Yeah, it really surprised so. King Charles III, of course, after talking about the environment, is going to turn to the president and say, buy or sell. No. Buy or sell. No. What should the Sox do a trade deadline? Of course, you'll be there uh, every second uh, while that's breaking, and please keep us informed. We'll be coming back to you Thank often you, on that. Um, uh, David Ignatius, of course, you uh, spent uh, many years talking to Dr. Brzezinski about Ukraine. Uh, it's, it was an obsession of his for decades, and you all uh, talked about it at length. Uh, the possibility of Ukraine becoming a member of NATO, obviously the president says they can't right now because that would mean war with Russia, which they're trying to avoid. Uh, let's talk about that, but also I think uh, uh, right now more relevant because it's more possible. Uh, the fact that you have Turkey standing in the way of Sweden, who would be a forceful, uh, important, powerful member uh, of, of NATO uh, as an addition. Uh, talk about the possibility of, 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 of Joe Biden possibly making progress in getting Sweden into the NATO alliance. So, Joe, I had an unusual opportunity to, to walk through each of these key issues that will be facing President Biden when he lands tomorrow in, in Vilnius with his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, on Friday at a small group of us by auspicious, somewhat ominous rooms, the Secretary of War's rooms in the old executive office building to, to talk about these issues. So first, on the question of, of the, the NATO summit and the, the big issue report. The, the president has made clear that he doesn't think this is the time to admit NATO. Admitting a, kind of, a country that's at war with Russia, that NATO would in, perhaps imply that NATO should immediately come to, to that country's aid with the full commitment, Article 5, a pledge to use nuclear weapons. And neither Biden nor most NATO members are ready to, to, to do that. Some countries, the Baltic countries, Poland, want a timetable. Okay, you can't come now, but let's, let's get you can a timetable for when they can join again. Biden is reluctant, as is Germany. Uh, then you have the question of, of Sweden's membership. NATO is on the way to being the strongest alliance it's ever been, arguably one of the strongest in world history. But Turkey has been blocking uh, Sweden's accession. I was assured by uh, by uh, uh, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, that these problems with Turkey are being resolved. It's notable that President Biden called Erdogan one, the president of Turkey on Sunday. He's going to meet him in Vilnius on Tuesday. And there's a feeling that this is going to be worked out. It may be worked out this week, but if not this week, soon. So there's, there's a general feeling that the big issues, although there'll be some sides of controversy, basically are understood on all sides. The key, I would just conclude, is how does NATO come out of this summit with a real sense that it has a strategy, not simply for sustaining Kiev as long as it takes, but for winning. Russia is 
of weak now. Russia's in disarray. If ever there was a moment to, to really ha have a strategy, have a push to get to a, a different status for, for Ukraine, a, a victory in this conflict, it's right now. Well, Joe, uh, you have a new piece in The Atlantic. It's out just moments ago, and it's on my favorite topic, which is where America stands with the world as the NATO summit starts. And, and you write this, America is doing just fine. You argue, quote, Uncle Sam deserves a modern-day Atticus Finch to argue his case before the American people. And you also write in part, quote, liberals want gained favor among their base by attacking the Pentagon's top brass. But now, it is Republican members of Congress who longingly swoon over Russia's manly military while trashing U.S. generals and our men and women in uniform. Those GOP attacks come despite the fact that America's military is more powerful today relative to the rest of the world than at any time since the Second World War. Unlike in years past, American allies no longer grouse about the U.S. leading from behind or burrowing itself into a self-defeating America first hole. Instead, the U.S. is first among equals in a dynamic and expanding NATO alliance that just added a new member with more than 800 miles of Russian border and that has provided a devastating response to Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine. Looking east, the United States has finally begun its pivot to Asia, strengthening military cooperation with Trying Japan, the Philippines, cuts. Guam, South Korea, and Australia. The current disruption in U.S.-China relations may have less to do with spy balloons and diplomatic missteps than with Xi Jinping's rational fear of being hemmed in by an increasingly muscular U.S. military presence surrounding the South China Sea. President Joe Biden's recent diplomatic overtures toward India were likewise calculated to contain China's regional ambitions. Childhood poverty has dropped to the lowest level on record. Teenage pregnancy has done the same. The U.S. dollar has experienced generational highs over the past year. Unemployment recently hit a 54-year low. The number of job openings this past year also hit record highs. Overall, the U.S. economy continues to surge forward despite economists' dire predictions. America's GDP grew to $25 trillion last year. Texas has a bigger economy than Russia, and although California is routinely rebuked by right-wing critics, it has the fourth strongest economy in the world, stronger than Britain, France's, Canada's, or India's. The United States and its European allies collectively run an economic machine that doubles China's stagnating output. Despite record debt levels, a stubborn case of inflation, and other structural challenges, American capitalism continues to drive and dominate the world economy. Though a fulsome defense of Uncle Sam often requires dialectical thinking, but remember this, even with all of its failings, America has fed and freed more human beings than any other country in history. And despite the blather that cable news hosts spit at you daily, your country is doing pretty damn well. And I think it's fair to say Joe Biden has led that international Hi, Mr. Speckle. Well, he, he certainly has. I mean, and this is something that was also saying uh, during the 
Trump administration, during the Obama administration, during the Bush administration. I've been saying for quite some time, not on the foreign policy side, because I will say on the foreign policy side, Joe Biden has 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 done extraordinarily well. Afghanistan, the one challenge, which I, I right. discuss also in this column, it was done. Uh, it, it was promised by the past three presidents to do the same thing. And 70 percent of Americans supported Joe Biden doing that when he did it. Even 55 percent of Americans supported him after he did it. The purpose, though, of this column wasn't to talk about Joe Biden or Donald Trump or anybody else. It was to talk about America. John Meacham, as I was going through the 4th of July reading, it was, oh, 75% of Americans think we're going in the wrong direction. I could find another poll, though, that says 75% of Americans say their economic uh, standing is good or excellent right now. And, and there's, this, there's this bizarre disconnect between perception and reality. I also go down uh, so many things in this column about, for instance, you know, uh, Republicans now have become the new the new lefties, trashing you know college campuses, doing everything but taking over you know presidents' offices in universities. Despite the fact every year our universities and colleges are ranked the best in the world and the most powerful people in the world desperately try to get their children into our universities. The smartest kids on the planet come to our universities and yet they're constantly trashed as woke and, and, and weak and we hear all of this, John, and there's just a massive disconnect. The fact is the United States uh, it's the most powerful, uh, most productive, most successful country on the planet. And yet we never hear that from our politicians uh, year in and year out. Well, there's, I think one of the great disconnects that you've pointed out is between people who talk about these things publicly, people who poll on them, and then in a cycle then talk about the polling results. Um, and what people genuinely think. And my own sense is that part of the wages of having a such a radically polarized political class, which is to say those who have an economic, cultural, and often ideological stake in an unfolding political drama, that because of that polarization, you have no, it's not in anyone's interest to say what you just said. Because what's interesting about, hey, everything's good. You know, yeah, there are problems, we should work on it. You know, that that's not gonna get people outraged. It's not gonna guarantee advertisers that people are gonna tune in. Uh, you need, on the right, you need to think that the world is ending and that President Biden bizarrely is leading this uh, these end times. Uh, and on the left, you have to be perpetually uh, on edge about uh, fascism uh, at home. And there's a hugely legitimate uh, reason to worry about fascism at home because the only threat, I mean, the main threat to the world, the American state that you just described, is internal, right? It's that we will gnaw on ourselves. Mm -hmm. We will let appetite and ambition overcome a kind of constitutional order where we're not perfect, but we're trying to get a little more perfect. And where democratic capital
can in fact create prosperity and possibility for others. I just think that part of the, I think what the, the main problem, uh, and I think this helps explain the president's uh, polling numbers, is that there's little incentive in a polarized political climate to say what you just said, however true it is. And I think that's what the case that has to be made again and again. And it may be that the people who decide the 2024 election are not watching us this morning, are not uh, tuned in to the minute to minute, but who are in about five or six states and are going to assess the state of the nation uh, sometime next year. And I think that uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Where it is, where it does create a cost, though, is that what we're seeing this week with President Biden going to NATO with this unfolding story is this is why we have presidents. This is why we need serious people to be president. Because I was looking at the map you had. Look at look at that. Look at the size of Russia, the size of NATO. This is great power stuff that can go. Look at that. That can go wrong. It's amazing. And don't you want a yeah, grown up sitting yeah. there to yeah, get the call? Nobody would have imagined that map. Yeah, nobody would have imagined that map, John Meacham in. Uh, 1981, in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, even in in 2000, or even in 2017, when there was a president who was trying to undo NATO, it is extraordinary what has happened. And of course, Vladimir Putin's responsible for most of it by his his missteps. But no, you're exactly right. That is an incredible map to behold. As James Stravita said, Admiral Stravita said, We've turned the Baltic Sea into the NATO lake. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And Reverend Al, I also talk about challenges that we've had as a country moving toward a more perfect union. Talk about how the, the, the author of the Declaration of Independence was a slaveholder, uh, the drafter of the Constitution, a slaveholder, uh, and yet it was Abraham Lincoln who used Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence specifically uh, for the argument to, to grant emancipation to slaves in 1863. And then a hundred years later, it was Martin Luther King who used that same declaration as a, quote, promissory note for all Americans. And that pressure, what Martin Luther King did 60, uh, 60 years ago next month, uh, holding the declar- basically holding the Declaration of Independence up to JFK, to members of Congress, to all Americans saying, this is our promissory note and it's time that it is paid off. Well, it was paid off a year later in the Civil Rights Act and two years later in the Voting Rights Act. Uh, So we are all, oh, and, and by the way, Madison, the slaveholder, Madison's constitution held Donald Trump and held others like Donald Trump in check 240 years later. So we are a very imperfect union, but as you say all the time, we are still moving toward being a more perfect union. We are an imperfect nation, but it is our job to try and perfect uh, this nation and move away from those imperfections. And we have seen in history 
people and and across lines of race and religion and gender that has moved toward that. As you talk about Martin Luther King, 100 years after the 1863 Emancipation Proclamation, and as you know, his son Martin III and Andre King and I are going back with a huge march there this August. Uh, why did Dr. King go to the Lincoln Memorial? Uh, it really comes right out of what you were writing about in the Atlantic. He didn't go to the Washington Monument. He didn't go to the Jefferson Memorial. He went to the Lincoln Memorial because that's where the promise came from. And he said, Mr. Lincoln, you promised. And he raised the promise from that declaration. In his speech, we go to the end of the speech, the climax of what we would say of a sermon, I have a dream. But the content was to make America live up to the promise, and we still are moving toward that promise. And I think we've made some progress. I think we need more to go. Contrast that with a Donald Trump who when he moved into the Oval Office, he hung up a picture in the Oval Office of Andrew Jackson, who was an, a, a, an avowed uh, segregationist and, and, and one that advocated slave, uh, slavery and states' rights. So when you contrast uh, Biden, who's trying to continue that trajectory, to uh, a Trump who's in the spirit of Andrew Jackson, that's what the American public's going to have to deal with next year. And, and, and while we're talking about NATO, we have um, we have another view yep. on NATO from somebody from the Atlantic my Council. To my brother, uh, my brother writes: Ukraine needs NATO membership, not an Israel model. That would be like, for example, what right. Israel has is a ten-year commitment. Right. The, my brother Ian Brzezinski, not Mark, the former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Europe and NATO. Policy and senior fellow at the Atlantic Council writes in part this. This approach, an alternative to Ukraine's membership in NATO, is a mistaken application of Israel's geopolitical circumstances, one that would indefinitely perpetuate Russia's aggression. Israel's adversaries in the Islamic world are not major powers. Kyiv confronts a far more significant adversary. Moscow's determination to obliterate Ukraine and its history far exceeds the collective intensity of Israel's adversaries. As long as NATO is not fully committed to defending the security of Ukraine, Putin will continue his violent quest, especially if he believes continuing the conflict is the key to preventing Ukrainian membership in the alliance. Putin must not be given an indefinite veto over transatlantic security. Granting NATO membership to Ukraine is critical to ensuring it wins the war against Russia quickly and decisively. It is the most unambiguous way to demonstrate to Putin that suborning Ukraine is unachievable and wasteful. It is the most reliable way to ensure such aggression never happens and again. What is so uh, fascinating, Elise Jordan, about that argument is it's an argument that Ian Brzezinski's father uh, had made off and on at times. I mean, it, it's been a, a question that's vexed American foreign policy leaders for, for, for quite a very long time, not just because of the threat from Russia, but because of the challenges internally in Ukraine as well. But right now, Ian Brzezinski and Applebaum, uh, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel uh, 
Then, then uh, uh, you, you, there, there, and a lot of Republicans are saying that Joe Biden needs to actually go further, be stronger, and admit Ukraine into NATO right now. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's, it was interesting to me that President Biden struck such a hard line saying now is not the time, given that Putin is at a point of weakness and the Ukrainians are armed yeah, pretty much as well as Democrats they've been at any yet. point in the war and are expected to yeah, have a great offensive going forward. And so Putin is really at a weak point. And so why not keep the pressure going there? I, it, was odd to me that that yeah. was one of uh, that that was such a strong Democrats. statement. And while I'm not necessarily sure that Ukraine should be admitted right now, just completely dismissing the possibility would, down the road seems like that plays into Putin's hand at a time and when a place of he's honor weak, in America. Right? Yep. Yeah, you know, uh, let me ask you that because it honor. struck me the same way. It's kind of like when he called, uh, when Joe Biden called in. Vladimir Putin a killer. I was like, eh, okay, he is. Uh, maybe not the most diplomatic language when he called she a dictator right after poor Tony Biden had just gone. It's like dictators calling she and sort of straighten up the covers and get, get you know, tuck in the bed and, and get that, that alliance sort of neat and uh, orderly or at least on the right path again. It was, uh, you know, uh, messed up by that. I, I was curious, do you think that was deliberate yesterday? Uh, when, when Joe Biden acted as forcefully, or could he have used more diplomatic language? Well, you know, I, I think this is his view. It's important that our allies know exactly what the U.S. view is. Come here, Nick. There, there is a bit of a, a split in NATO now. Uh, the Baltic states, Poland, the countries that are closest to Russia that feel the threat of Putin most directly would like more of a commitment. They'd like, if not immediate membership, everybody except. We're almost at the edge of history when we go to another country six hundred years ago. That's the date that Quebec is happy in Turkey is built. That weirdly is the date that Plato Timaeus and Critias gives for the submergence of Atlantis. Archaeologists roll their eyes at any mention of Atlantis. Flatter for archaeologists. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I want to talk about Antarctica. I was very interested in Antarctica. No, I but was undoubtedly about Antarctica. when Antarctica was lush and green. The question is, was it lush and green during the lifetime of the human species? Yes. You did know that other pyramids had their entrance in the north face. And that is the entrance through which you will have gone when you entered the Great Pyramid, called Mamoun's Hole. Um, I'm doing a debate with a leading archaeologist on the Joe Rogan. The epic of guilt accepts that's not really feasible. They'd like a timetable for membership. And Biden has resisted that and has argued instead. Um, Pinky's return is the, now. The security of Ukraine hey. is going to be dependent on two things. Welcome back, Ukraine's Bob. own military uh, Welcome power. Welcome back. Ukraine's going to have the Welcome strongest back. army in Europe coming out of this war. Ukraine is going to need weapons. It's going to need F-16s. It's going to need more tanks. Uh, so, so that it really is this power that can prevent Russia from ever, ever doing it again. And secondly, like Israel, it's going to need an American guarantee. When people talk about the Israel mm -hmm. model, that, that Mika's brother, Ian, quantitative and qualitative edge in military weapons as far ahead as, 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 as we can see against your Arab enemies. It's an absolute commitment, and it's been kept by every president. And I think Ukraine is going to have as strong a lobby in America for its future defense needs as, as, as Israel does. So I thought the president was just
is saying what um, you know what everybody knows about the U.S. position. It's important for us not to be ambiguous. The one thing this alliance doesn't need is American, you know, trying to try to make nice to people and say say things people uh, want to hear. Just I would make the, the the point is that going into this summit, there, there's a little bit of talk about all oh, our internal divisions and uh, conflicting ideas about the future. I hope NATO uh, it pulls together and says Russia has never been weaker than it is now. Ukraine has never been stronger as it presses its offensive than it is now. It needs all the help we can give. Anything that we might wish we'd done. If, if their counteroffensive fails at the end of the year, let's do now. Let's give them the weapons that they we need. need. They the just did that with General cluster bombs. That's going to make a difference. It's going to allow them to keep fighting. They were running out of ammunition, folks. They're going to. That won't happen now, thanks, thanks to Biden's decision, this which, which is, is not an easy one. Tyrant and well, I'm not a big fan of his. Highly overrated. Well, he also has no personality. That helps, right? As a politician, you have to have personality. You saw where he wants to change his name. It's DeSantis. He wants to call it DeSantis, but you don't do it in the middle of a campaign. <laughs> I actually think he has that backwards. He spent his entire life calling himself DeSantis, and then he changed it to DeSantis. I, would, I, would, I have to agree with it. Anyhow, Donald Trump uh, returning to the campaign trail this weekend with a visit to a Calvary church in Las Vegas. As for DeSantis, he is blaming the media for his lackluster showing in a Republican primary polling. On Fox News yesterday, the Florida governor was asked about a political article that quotes a top spokesperson for DeSantis's super PAC as saying his campaign is, quote, facing an uphill battle, adding that they're way behind in national polling. Here was DeSantis's response to that. DeSantis, they saw about us nicely. For These you are narratives. The media does not want me to be the nominee. I think that's very, very wow. clear. Why? Because they know I'll beat Biden. But even more importantly, they know I will actually deliver on all these things. We will stop not the invasion at the border. We'll take on the drug cartels. We'll curtail the administrative state. We'll get spending under control. We'll do all the things that they don't want uh, to see done. And so they're going to continue doing uh, the type of narrative. I can tell you uh, we understand this is a state-by-state -state process. Uh, we've had incredible support um, in the early states building an organization, signing up the key people that you need to be able to compete in a place like Iowa. We just launched our Mama's Movement. My wife was in Iowa with Governor Tim Reynolds launching that. Parents, and particularly moms, I think are going to be the secret weapon, both in this primary and in the general election. Uh, nobody has been a better champion for those folks uh, than me. Interesting. So columnist Peggy Noonan has a new opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal entitled May Trump Soon Reach His Waterloo. And she writes in part, quote, this weekend I reread Paul Johnson's Napoleon, Here, which came I out in 2002, you. part of this series of replies. Johnson writes uh, the cult of Napoleon in a way that is now for pertinent. The cult of Bonaparte not doing was originally part. wide, but it did not last. It had power in the moment. Women supporting women. You must Reality be a fake account. In. History made its judgments. The cultists overrun by right wingers. nuance when pressed to explain their previous We're support. president. Back to now, Chris Christie could easily block defeat you. Joe Biden. So could several of the GOP candidates now in the field. Donald Trump wouldn't, for one big reason. 
His special superpower is that he is the only Republican who will unite and rally the Democratic base and drive independents away. True that. Hello. A sad thing is that many bright Trump supporters sense this and the case against him, but can't concede it and break away and break from him. This weekend at a party, one of Mr. Trump's New York supporters, a former office holder, quickly made his so way I to don't me to speak of his hero. He referred to the Abraham Accords and the economy and said, surely you can admit he was a good president. He was all wound up, so I spoke slowly. I will tell you what he is. He is a bad man. So you are out of the I know it. And if I were a less courteous person, I would say that you know it too. He was startled, didn't reply, and literally took a step back. Because I think he does know it. Political cults are never good. Often rise, always pass. May it this time come sooner rather than later. It's interesting. Uh, Great piece. And this time, uh, this will pass. This too shall pass. We're not exactly sure when, uh, but when it passes, it will it will pass uh, fairly quickly. John Meacham had said that for quite some time. Uh, that that when it passes, it, it, it he will not slowly fade away. It will be a, a, a precipitous drop. But we're not we're exactly sure what time that will be. I will say. And I'm curious because you also you live in a red state surrounded by Trump bio, supporters or former Trump supporters, Republicans. I must say, I, I keep being surprised by the what number of former Trump supporters who voted for him in 2016 and some who, who even voted for him in 2020 mm. who do not like the man. I mean, and these are the people who told me, I'm voting for him in 16, I'm voting for him in 20, and, and they're exhausted to by him, cover. they're angered by him. They're angered. And they don't know where to go. Uh, and, and they don't know exactly so where to weird. go. They don't really know this DeSantis guy. You are guy. so weird. But it's, it's very interesting. It, this is one so, of the few so times weird. in my life that... So weird. Overwhelming anecdotal evidence is just not matching what I'm seeing in poll numbers. The overwhelming anecdotal evidence that I'm seeing... An important is, new woman I, candidate I, I, who is a fierce supporter of women's right to bodily autonomy. They're angry, they've had enough, he exhausts them, and they don't want to lose anymore. Yeah. They don't, but here's the great question uh, about whether this... The movement is defeated and does become part of the dust heap of history and whether we can talk about it in terms God. of autopsy as opposed to unfolding reality is are enough Americans willing to vote against Trump no matter what and that means Republicans in a general election are they willing you accuse to me vote of for the Democratic it? nominee Jeez. with whom they may disagree on issues of policy, but whom they believe to be fundamentally constitutionalist? Do you want a constitutional uh, president, which is what President Biden is, however imperfect he may be, or do you want a proven insurrectionist? And it, it, when, you, when framed that way, it seems to me that tax policy and EVs kind of take their proper place 
in the uh, in the scope of things. But that's where a principled partisanship in the country. Will people, can people put the Constitution ahead of particular policy issues? And if they can't, if, as uh, Peggy wrote about, if those, if, if the people who still sort of say, oh, you he was a great president, me, and he's better I, no, than Biden, I, you know, whatever story they tell themselves. Took you off my list if that's of the followers. story they tell themselves all the way to the ballot box in 24, then I'm not sure this is over. If they can, then it probably is. But it's a pretty straightforward question. Do you believe in the Constitution more than 48 months of policy? Yeah, and, and Elise, it's interesting. Um, the people we were talking to this weekend Bye, said, well, we stayed home in 2020. Are we going to have to stay home in 2024? Said, well, what, what, what do you think of Ron DeSantis? What do you think about Chris Christie? They, like, we just haven't heard that much about them. And it's interesting that that right now uh, Trump does eclipse them all. That's the one name they've heard. And a lot of Republicans just, again. Not in a good way. Not going to vote for him. Uh, but, but they may not vote for anybody. They may just right. stay home again. And again, as we've been saying for some time, that spells doom for Republicans next fall. Joe, I would argue, though, that Biden needs those Republicans. He needs a slight sliver of those, you know, five to six percent of never Trumpers, of disgruntled Republicans to vote for him to propel himself to victory. It's going to come down to 100,000 votes in Arizona, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania at the end of the day. And the way that John Meacham is framing what the narrative should be, are you going to vote for an insurrectionist? Are you anti-Constitution? Is the framing that Democrats should adopt. Right now, I see Republicans who are creating narratives. They're creating narratives about a Biden crime family. They're creating narratives about a stolen election. They're creating narratives that just aren't being combated with the same strength because Democrats are talking about policy, which I love policy. But if you want to win, Breaking news, Trump pitilessly ripped into Joe Biden and fiery Iowa Pitter. Shame on poor fucking.
of the worst criminal in human history. Integrity to remove him retroactively. Audience to P.S. Before you whine about it, comma, it will take a moment to unfollow you on my other accounts. So if you go ahead and block me, I don't care. Exclamation point. So I. Don't accidentally send you any more messages. Like that one. Hey, why do you get bent out of shape about a fucking message? Digital message. Digital message. Bitch, or probably an asshole. Your loss.
Okay. There's a sasshole on no damsel donations. I think it must be a fraud account. They said, uh, could you please stop sending us things? It would be appreciated. We don't want to be rude, but it's becoming unnecessary. I'm running for president. I'm probably your biggest advocate. You should support my campaign and help spread my messages of love and support towards women and suggestions of how we can all win back our rights to bodily autonomy. Instead of complaining about a damn message. If you don't like the message, don't read it, but you should pass it on. It's an appreciate support and advocacy, but I didn't consent to be spammed with your campaign information. Please ask your followers if they want to be subscribed to these kind of messages first before people start unfollowing you to avoid them. I said, why don't you ask your followers if they would like to support a woman candidate who is an Oxford University scholar in women's studies and hear about a noisy feminist comedian who is calling for six Supreme Court justices to be removed and charged with perjury for lying under oath about Roe v. Wade being settled law. And then I sent him this. Oh, well. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I said... And then they said, Sorry about thankfully for you not to randomly DM us. If you continue, I will happily make sure our followers do the same. We appreciate your effort, but your presidency me stomping over other people's boundaries for publicity. I'm not voting for you. And I'll make sure your lack of respect for others is well no. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's probably a guy. Please don't make us block you. I said, here, I will unfollow you so you are out of the loop. And shame on you for not doing your part, women supporting women. You must be a fake account overrun by right-wingers. You claim in your bio to cover important news information. And you accuse me of spamming you? An important new woman candidate is a fierce supporter of women's rights to bodily autonomy? Fraud. You are following me, so I took you off my list of followers. That's, that's fucking random. They're following me. They're on my list, uh, you know, when I'm sending out messages. Bye, foo. P.S. Before you whine about it, it will take a moment to unfollow you on my other account, so if you go ahead and block me, I don't care. So don't accident so I don't accidentally send you any more messages. You're lost. I'll just fucking block them now. And I told uh, Forbes, shame on Forbes for your lousy and treasonous coverage of the worst criminal in human history. By the way, he lied to you about his wealth to get on your list, the Forbes list of richest people. You should have the integrity to remove him retroactively from your list of wealthiest people in the world. Otherwise, you're nothing but a fraud.
Cease and desist. Why are you whine about it? Forbes must remove diaper dawn. From list of world's wealthiest people because he lied to them about his wealth. Trump lied, hashtag Trump lied to them about his wealth. IRS. If he does not, if they, if they do not retroactively remove Trump, Forbes magazine, Forbes mag. Forbes magazine. Remove Trump. list of world's wealthiest they are a fraud They're a fraud. Because Trump lied. Okay. 
Okay. So, here's a message. Forbes must remove Dr. Don from the list of world's wealthiest because Trump lied to them about his wealth. And then I tagged the IRS criminal investigation. If Forbes t do not retroactively remove Trump from list of world's wealthiest, they're a fraud. Cease and desist. The Justice Department, IRS News, Young Democrats, Wall Street Journal, Wall Street Tech. I'm tagging their, maybe, I guess, I would think maybe Wall Street Journal is kind of a competitor. Diploma. According to Mary Trump, Mary Trump. Fucking whine about it, I don't care. Fuck off. You're a fucking loss. Let's see if Mary Trump's on, uh. It doesn't look like her.
to sue them. Just up for press. Trump for president. I mean Trump for prison. <laughs> Christopher Perez and Trump for prison. Party. Wharton is for graduates. Graduate school is a graduate. It's a graduate school, man. So it's like me, like me saying, um, okay, I went to Berkeley as an undergrad, but saying I went to uh, law school. Go to fucking Wharton. Trump lie. Trump lies again. Trump lie. Lies. Diaper Dawn. Okay, I need to get outside and do some gardening while it's so reasonably cool. Diaper Dawn did not go to Wharton Business School. Wharton Business Wharton is a graduate school.